What's up guys, this is Taking the Field with Stevie Mac, and before we jump right into this episode, a quick programming note for you guys. Starting now until the end of the regular season, I'll be releasing two episodes a week every Monday and Thursday afternoons discussing, discussing excuse me, the latest in the PLL. So this episode is going to serve as kind of your week one recap from Foxborough in the PLL. So what this episode will be is first I'll give you guys my quick reactions to every game this past weekend then a little bit later on in segment two I'll give I got to air out some things about that Atlas game on Saturday night as you guys know I wasn't totally thrilled with that game but we'll get on that a little bit later and then we'll round out the show segment three I'll get to some of your thoughts on week one I hopped on Twitter at Stevie Mac Media to ask you guys for your thoughts on week one as a whole and I'll also give my updated week one power rankings for the Premier Lacrosse League. So getting into this first segment, my reactions to the games this past weekend. Game one on Friday, I think was fantastic. Probably one of the better games as a whole that we saw here this weekend. The Redwoods topped the Cannons 12-11 in what ended up being a thriller of a finish. I watched that game, or listened to it rather, on my way out to Lansing on Friday night. But the Redwoods lone need this offseason was clearly at the faceoff and I think they really found their guy at that position in TD Erlin who did end up going 21 of 27 in that game and through their first two games in week one is up to 65% so far on his rookie season. So a really good start for TD Erland at the stripe. And the Redwoods offense I think in stretches looked really good in that game coming out from training camp and I think Rob Pinnell showed that he still has it and can be a solid quarterback at X especially we saw it a couple times late in the shot clock on some possessions where he was able to make things happen with the with the shot clock running down he's currently number one on the Redwoods and in the PLL in points obviously they're one of the few teams that played more than one game this weekend but he's also tied for first on the team in goals with five and assists with four and I think more so than that the one thing that really stood out to me when you look at his stats from this first weekend is he had just one turnover in those two games so nine points and just one turnover through his first two games as a member of the Redwoods and the defense looked locked in after the first quarter they gave up five goals in that opening quarter but just six goals in the remaining three and that included a shutout in the second quarter by that Redwoods defense. Now, on the other side for the Cannons, I was actually really impressed uh, with the way that they played in that game for a team that's only been playing together for a couple days now, maybe up to a week, week and a half now. Uh, and the offense is definitely there, I think. And the second quarter is really what ended up hurting them being outscored in that quarter. I believe it was 4 nothing in the second quarter, but defensively, I think they have the ability to compete with just about anybody in the PLL, and Jack Kielty is a guy, as a rookie out of Notre Dame, that I think is going to be a stud in the league for a very long time. Now, game two on the weekend came on Saturday. It was the Whipsnakes defeating the Chaos 13-7, and I think plain and simply, when you talk about the Whipsnakes at this point, 
they are who we thought they were. They are just a very, very good lacrosse team. Joe Nardella went 73% at the stripe on Saturday, and they went to the half up 10-1, to but Jim Stagnita's lone criticism at the end of that game was that they only played well for about three quarters and that they need to be able to play a full 48 minutes. And they got outscored four to nothing in that fourth quarter. So the chaos able to make it a little bit more of a of a closer game than what I think it really was. But the Whipsnakes defense was absolutely suffocating for about three quarters, leading to 10 caused turnovers over the course of the whole game. Nardella did account for one more and 18 ground balls for the game. Also combining their defense did four three points in that game. Now for the chaos, I'll be completely honest. I thought the chaos would be a lot better than what they showed outside of that fourth quarter and really probably the last five, six minutes of that game. I think that a slim down Chris Cloutier might be trouble for opposing defenses this summer. And Max Adler really struggled against Nardella in that game, going seven for 23 at the stripe for the game. And the defense, I think, looked a little too slow in the first half. But then again, the Whipsnakes unselfish ball movement tends to do that to some of these opposing defenses. They're always looking to make that extra pass. You know, they always talk about hitting singles, and I think they they really did that against this chaos defense, really spread them out a lot and kind of picked their matchups when they wanted to. And like I said before, the final score, I think, looked a lot closer than what it really was when you go back and watch that game. Now, the third game was that Atlas game against the Archers on Saturday night. The Archers pound the Atlas 18-6 in that one. The Archers offense, maybe not really a hot take after what we saw on Saturday, but the Archers offense is really good. And they had shooters coming from basically every direction against that Atlas defense and Jack Concanon in the cage on Saturday night. The Archers had five players register three or more points in the game. And at one point, I just sat there watching it on my laptop and said, Jack Concanon's basically playing six on O right now. It was the six guys on offense for the Archers against basically just him standing there taking shots in the cage. And I think the Archers also defensively played really well, but the Atlas had several unforced turnovers, you know, passes out of bounds, couple times they stepped in the crease, things like that. Uh, they even had a shot clock violation in the third quarter after it felt like they basically hadn't had possession in almost an hour. I know that's not really true, but it just felt like that at that point in the game. And they they wound up getting a, a shot clock violation, another thing I wasn't too thrilled about. But I think Gittleman looked really good in the cage for them, and it was possibly one of his best outings in his PLL career. He had 17 saves and, 80, and was 81%. Uh, between the pipes. Now for the Atlas, I'm not really going to get into my thoughts just yet. Like I said, at the start of the show, I'm going to get to that more in segment two. So hang on for that. But then game four came on Sunday. It was the Cannons earning their first PLL win 13 to seven over the Water Dogs for the Cannons. That was their second game of the weekend. The first for the Water Dogs. The Cannons used a nine to two halftime lead to pull this one out over the Water Dogs. The Water Dogs did outscore them though in the second half, five to four, definitely made it a little bit of a closer game, kind of like the same thing with the Whip Snakes against the Chaos on Saturday. Uh, Lyle Thompson and Andrew Q combined for eight goals on nine shots for the Cannons. That's just absolutely ridiculous. 
And Brody Merrill, I think, showed us why he has an award named after him already in the league while he's still playing by causing a team-high two turnovers and also scooping up a team-high six ground balls in that one, leading that Cannons defense also with Jack Keelty there as well. But uh, Drew Simino struggled uh, against his former team on faceoffs, just 9 of 22 for the game at the stripe. And the Water Dogs looked like a much better team in the second half compared to the first. Obviously, like I said, down 9-2 to two at the half. Michael Sowers had two goals on six shots in his pro, de- pro debut. Excuse me, Pretty solid outing for him, but he also apparently suffered a significant head injury in that game. So hopefully he's not out for an extended period of time because that will hurt this Water Dogs offense. But they also got a bit of scoring from possibly an unlikely source in Steve DiNapoli who had two goals in that game game and he also caused three turnovers and grabbed one ground ball in the loss as well and I think more so than probably anything else Dylan Ward struggled in the first start in the PLL for him making just six saves and giving up 13 points in that one and then finally game five on the weekend the Redwoods earn their second win on the weekend. They're the only team to come away with a 2-0 record on the weekend, beating the Chrome 14-11. That was probably one of the other better games on the weekend. I feel like they really bookended the weekend with two of the better games that we saw, two of the more competitive games that we saw. The Redwoods saw Jules Henningberg and Sergio Perkovic each with four points in that one, while Rob Pinnell had a team-high five with two goals and three assists. Again, he's really showing that he can be that quarterback at X and really make things happen for that offense. TD Erlin with another solid game, going 15 out of 28. And that St. Laurent, I believe it was after the game, said that as long as he's facing off around 50% consistently, the Woods can basically win any game they want to as long as he's doing that. They feel like they have the kind of team where they can be able to win any game against any opponent as long as they're consistently winning faceoffs the way that TD Erlin has been doing. And Troutner down the stretch made some really big saves when they needed to be made, especially, like I said, in those final few minutes. And the Chrome saw first career goals from Justin Anderson, Jackson Morrill, and Ryan Tarafanko in that one. But Justin Gutterding had just one goal, which I think really hurt them offensively because he's the kind of guy that they lean on to, again, kind of quarterback that offense, but also have the ability to put the ball in the net Uh, more often than not, you know, probably two, three times a game, maybe sometimes he'll hit four, but I think more so, especially after the injury to Jordan Wolf, when he left for the game, that especially that lack of production out of gutterding, I think really hurt them offensively. But when we come back, I'll give you my thoughts on that Atlas performance from Saturday. Like I said, didn't want to get into it in this segment. I'll get to it in the next segment because I think That really in itself needs to be its own segment, but you're listening to Taking the Field with Stevie Mack. Welcome back on Taking the Field with Stevie Mack. Segment two on the show. We'll get to some stuff a little bit later. I'll give you my power rankings coming up in that third segment. We'll also get to your comments a little bit later on in the show. But as I said before the break, we're going to talk in this segment about that Atlas performance on Saturday because I think that not for better, but for worse in this case, it was deserving of its own segment here on this episode because 
There's a lot of new faces, but it really looked like a lot of the same problems for the Atlas that we've seen in years past. Now, I want to preface this by saying that I get that it's only game one of a long season. I didn't expect them to have it all figured out by the end of training camp, and I understand that it takes time to mesh some of these guys together, both offensively and defensively, and it, it takes time to implement a system, but I think that, like I said, the same problems popped up on Saturday that have been been plaguing this team even with different players in the in the lineup and in the roster since 2019 and really when you watched them they were sloppy with the ball on offense a lot of unforced turnovers like I mentioned uh, when talking about the archers in segment one a lot of unforced turnovers you know passes out of bounds uh, ground balls they a couple times stepped on the crease when trying to take shots in tight but defensively, the short sticks, I think, looked too slow to match up with the Archers Dodgers. Now, a disclaimer here is that Danny Logan played in his first PLL game as a rookie and got, I think, a major wake-up call when he had to switch on to Tom Schreiber several times in that game when defending the Archers two-man game from up top. Because I think in when you talk to anybody, that's a, a tough ask of any short stick defensive mid, but let alone a rookie, I think makes it even tougher. Now in the first half, Jack and Cannon wasn't seeing the ball at all, which I think was very unlikely for him. The archers started the game, I believe seven for seven shooting the ball and the Atlas ended up pulling him towards the end of that first half, but he came back out in the second half and I think looked a lot better. I think he looked more like the Jack and Cannon that we normally expect to see only giving up three goals in that second half to the archers but and so that's one of my positives from the game but my other positive that I took again very few to take away I think from that performance but one of the other ones that I was able to take away was that Trevor Baptiste went 64% on his faceoffs, getting back to a little more of his 2019 form there in that game so hopefully that's something that we can see from him throughout this 2021 season but I think as an Atlas fan it was just another one of those unwatchable games kind of like the whip snakes game from 2020 where you could just tell the other team was just clearly the better team that day and there was like I said there was just a lot of unforced errors the defense looked a little bit too slow or maybe lost at times in some of their assignments and you saw on uh, on a couple of those replays of some of the archers goals they still have for whatever reason too many ball watchers on that defensive group Jack and Cannon can't win you games on his own and if he has more games in the future like he did on Saturday then you basically have nothing going for you on that half of the field and that needs to change this team needs to find a way to correct its mistakes and fast Ben Rubior was aggressive in putting this team together and now I think he has to be aggressive more so in molding it now you have the pieces there now you just got to figure out where to put them and how this team can really start to gel and I know I'm going to sound like a broken record for probably the millionth time here on this show but they need to find a way to get Joel Tinney involved in this offense I'm so tired of saying it I'm I'm sure you're tired of hearing it, but to this very moment, it's still true. It's not going to stop being true until they do it. Kevin Shrek, one of my buddies on Twitter, actually tweeted at me during that game on Saturday night to ask me specifically had they used him on offense at all, and 
at the time that he tweeted that at me, it was probably the second or third quarter at that point in the game. And P.S. Joel Tinney himself liked that tweet because he tagged him in it. Yes, he himself, Joel Tinney, liked that tweet. And I think personally, you know, I, I've said it on this show several times. He's a solid Dodger with the ball in his cross, and he can feed the ball to these Atlas shooters. You've got a lot of shooters, but especially in the midfield, not a, a lot of guys outside of Costabile, and we saw Romar do it a little bit on Saturday. Not a lot of guys, and Crawley, I guess, too, but not a ton of guys that are really able to dodge repeatedly with the ball on their stick. They're more guys that want to just catch and shoot. And I think when you have an offense like that, where it's just a lot of catch and shoot type guys, you need to at least have one guy in that offense that can sort of be that quarterback to get those guys the ball. And Tinney to me has always been that guy. Why they don't utilize him in that way, I don't know. And it's again, it's a question that I will continue to keep asking until it's answered. But defensively, I think going back to the defense side now, I'm not ready to smash the panic button just yet because they do have, you know, three, four, five new faces on defense on Saturday. So keep in mind that they also gave up three goals in that second half. So a better, a much better second half from that Atlas defense. And I think Ken Clawson needs to do something about the Atlas's tendency to ball watch and lose their man in the process because they did give up a couple goals in tight where the defender was just turned around looking at the ball and never saw his guy kind of slip behind him into that open space around the crease. So they need to do something about the, the constant ball watching on this defense. And, and, you know, maybe that's on Tucker Durkin too, as sort of the leader of that defense he needs to maybe get these guys in order a little bit better and have better communication so that everyone can be on the same page. And one thing that I noticed when, or thought about when I was putting this episode together is you notice how on the broadcast, they mic up these players and they always tend to mic up at least one defensive player on each team, but notice how they never really seem to mic up one of the Atlas defenders. And maybe that's due to the fact that they don't communicate as much as some of these other defenses do or some of these other teams do. Possibly, maybe I'm just throwing out speculation here, but it is something that I noticed when putting this episode together. So like I said, Ben Rubior has the pieces to compete this year, so it's not really about waiting until 2022 to compete because they have the ability to do that right here and right now in 2021. And I think it'll really just take time to put all the pieces together, like I said before. But my hope is that by the time I see them play in Baltimore week three, I'll be live there for week three in Baltimore. I'm hoping that it'll be closer to where they need to be by then. Again, not perfect, but just noticeably better than what we saw from them on Saturday night in week one. And I do think that maybe missing Jeff Teat right now could have played a factor in Saturday's game maybe sort of, but not really. And I do think that it'll hurt them over the course of the season more so than just that one game in specific. If he does in fact miss most or all of this 2021 season. But again, they do have the guys in place to be able to win right now. And I think that should be the goal is to try and win right now. Even if you go 500 or maybe a game or two over 500, I really think that that should be the the minimum expectation for this team this summer. But they need to find a way to break out of some of these bad habits that seem to plague 
this team each and every year. Again, different players, but same problems. So we've got one more segment that I want to hit on real fast in just a moment where I'll get some of your thoughts on the PLL week one weekend and including some of this Atlas stuff as well. That's open too for some of your comments. And then I'll give you my PLL power rankings following week one in Foxborough. You're listening to Taking the Field with Stevie Mack. All right, welcome back on Taking the Field with Stevie Mack. I said before the break, we'd get to some of your reactions about just week one as a whole, but also I got a couple comments that I'm going to read to you guys that we that I want to touch on about this Atlas team and their performance from Saturday as well. Then to round it all out, we'll get into those week one power rankings that I was talking about. If you remember back to last week's episode, I did sort of a preview episode during their preseason training camp with my preseason power rankings. So those definitely shook up a little bit following week one. So we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. But to get to some of your guys' reactions from week one, I jumped on Stevie Mac Media at Stevie Mac Media on Twitter. And we got some general reactions. We got some Atlas related discussion as well from Brian on Twitter to lead us off. He says the Canons D is playing way better than people were expecting. The MLL guys showed up and showed out, i.e., Lyle Goodrich, IDA, referring to Isaiah Davis Allen. Ryan Lee, McNamara, Q, etc. Unified Pro Field has fans talking about the player pool and potential roster movement more than ever before. And and yeah, Brian, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think a lot of the MLL guys performed very well over the weekend. Even maybe a couple guys that you wouldn't have necessarily expected to have played such a big role in the teams that they are a part of, at least this early on. McNamara Uh, was a guy on Saturday that really impressed me for the archers with the way that he played against the Atlas. Now, granted, basically anybody that touched the field offensively for the archers had a, had a good game that night too, but I digress. But yes, the MLL guys did definitely, they didn't disappoint for sure. And I do think it's, it's amazing to now see what this unified pro field lacrosse looks like with everybody kind of all in one league on one team all kind of competing for the same goal and uh, he talks about the cannons defense yes the cannons defense led by Brody Merrill did really impress me I think their their team as a whole the cannons did impressed me uh, this weekend I think they got their first win uh, over the weekend, but I think they have many more coming this year. So I think the Cannons, even though I had them rated at the bottom of my preseason rankings, they will see a very nice jump here this week in the power rankings. Coach Shrek says, number one, Paul Rabel is not washed up. Number two, Pinnell fits in perfectly with the Woods. Number three, goalie play was at an all-time high this weekend. Number four, the Cannons are for real and could potentially finish top four in the league. And number five, Chrome are in trouble if Jordan Wolf misses significant time. So I'm going to try and hit on each one of Shrek's points here. Yes, Paul Rabel is didn't look washed up this weekend. We'll see how he he fares over the next eight, nine weeks or so of the regular season. But yes, this weekend, he was one of those guys that came out and really impressed me with the way that he played 
uh, this weekend. Number two, he says Pinnell fits in perfectly with the Woods. Yes, I can definitely agree with that. I talked about him a lot in segment one, kind of the production that he had over this weekend, being that quarterback at X for this Redwoods offense. He's another one of those guys, former Atlas guys, that really impressed me after uh, the championship series last year, neither of those guys necessarily had stellar performances, but definitely uh, were guys that stood out this weekend. He says, number three, goalie play was at an all-time high. Yeah, for the most part, I think the the goalie play was definitely there from guys like Troutner and Gittleman, as I said earlier, probably had one of his better games as a goalie in the PLL. Cannon, yes, for maybe a half did really well with that first half really was kind of a nightmare situation for him. But yes, goalie play was definitely some of the better that we've seen here in the PLL now in year three. Uh, number four, he says the cannons are for real and could potentially finish top four. Yes, and I'll touch more on that later when we get to the power rankings. Like I said, they will be in for a nice bump here after week one. And the Chrome are in trouble if Jordan Wolf misses significant time. Yes, and I think the same thing can be said about the Water Dogs with the potential absence. Uh, whether it be long-term or short-term of Michael Sowers, both those teams could be in some trouble offensively if either of those guys misses too much time uh, here over the next few weeks. From lacrosse discussion on Twitter, 2020 MLL guys certainly not having trouble. There are a few who are actually big-time players. Goodrich, Q, Heacock, Morocco, IDA, Lee, McNamara, Bacaro, and Lyle, obviously. Uh, yeah, like I said before with, I think it was Coach Shrek's point or maybe it was Brian, these MLL guys really came in and showed why they are professional players, why they've been professional players for the past few years now at the MLL level, now coming up to the PLL and showing exactly why they are professional athletes. They're just as good as some of these guys that have been in the PLL now for a year or two as we enter year number three of the league. But these are guys that, again, they're, they're going to be here to stay for the next several years. They're not guys that are going to be one and done type players where they're here. And then 2022, all of a sudden they don't make a roster. These are guys that are going to be around a part of this league for a while. And I think we, we got to get used to seeing them with these clubs and, and playing at this high of a level. Not that they couldn't have before, but now they're just getting that opportunity to, because of the merger from Thomas Walters, who was, I believe, in Foxborough for week one. So getting a firsthand account from somebody on location, he says the PLL product is solid and getting better. Peacock worked. Fans in the stands worked. 2020 MLL players are struggling to make PLL teams and to perform at the higher level of play. The stadium sold out of popular merch. Some teams are much better than others. Hashtag Roll Woods. So it's interesting here, really quick, that Tom Walters specifically picked out the fact that he thinks the MLL players were struggling because as we've heard from past comments, a lot of people think that these guys really came into the league and just kept it rolling from where they were in the MLL. And some guys may be standing out more so than others. Some guys taking on bigger roles than maybe what we expected. So it's interesting that he personally thought that maybe some of them didn't actually perform 
uh, up to standard. But yeah, I think Peacock worked for the most part. Obviously, some audio issues were well documented on social media there. But overall, I, I can't really complain. And yes, the PLL product is definitely getting better. And the merger went a long way into doing that. Uh, and yes, some teams are better than others, obviously. I think it's it's very clear to see, even after week one, that that is in fact the case. From Bulls on Parade, he says, I could just tweet, same story, different year, every two minutes during this game, and I would be accurately breaking down the game. In, refer in reference to the Atlas game against the Archers on Saturday, I pulled that one from a comment that he sent me during that game on Saturday night as the two of us were kind of tweeting back and forth at each other during that game because... I'll be honest, as a couple of Atlas fans, we were pretty pretty disappointed in the way that they came out and played in that game, especially in half number one. But yeah, I mean, he's right. You could have tweeted that throughout that game with no context added to it, and you could have accurately been describing what we were seeing from that Atlas team Saturday night against the Archers. And then Jonathan Ellis says, somehow, despite changing almost every member of this roster, these guys are susceptible to the same mistake that plagued the Bulls in 2020. And again, I think this is me talking now. You could also say the same about 2019 as well. But he says, it's so mystifying that I have to believe there's some genuine voodoo at work here. And again, as an Atlas fan, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just wild to me to think that you've changed rosters from 2019 to 2020, now changing from 2020 to 21. And yet, over the course of now this being the third season, you're still seeing some of the same bizarre mistakes that this team makes, even with completely different names on the roster from what we saw even back in 2019. It's just, it's completely, it's, it's mind blowing to be honest, but yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. I'm not sure what the problem is necessarily, even though I talked about it last segment or how it can specifically be addressed, but for some reason they have just haven't been able to get over the hump and get over some of those, those self-inflicted issues that they've had as a team, whether it be 2019, 2020, now 2021. But now I want to fi finish off this episode with the week one power rankings. I'll provide a very brief explanation for each one as we wrap up this episode. Number one, though, to start it off, obviously the whip snakes. I mean, all you can say at this point is just duh. If you don't have them, number one, then you're just doing it wrong. But moving on, number two, the Redwoods. TD Erlin at faceoff is already proving to be a game changer for the Woods, giving them the ability to tilt a game in their favor with just a couple consecutive faceoff wins. Being able to get that ball to their offense, into the stick of guys like Perkovic, Miles Jones, Kavanaugh, uh, you know, Rob Pinnell, guys like that, being able to get them the ball consistently and have the ability to then go put points on the board has been a big game changer for them compared to 2020 where they faced off at about a 33% clip as a team. Number three, I have the Archers. I saw someone put Archers at number two and the Redwoods at number three, but I have it this way because while the Archers steamrolled the Atlas on Saturday, they only scored three goals in the second half against Kincannon and that Atlas defense after giving him absolute lasers in the first half. And the Atlas D allowed the score to get out of hand by their inability to match up well with the Archers' middies. 
And also the unforced errors by the Atlas offense helped a lot too. And the Archers are still a a very strong team, I think, but you, you also have to consider the opponent here. Number four, I have the Cannons up from number eight last week, largely because I said that they were sort of the unknown in the PLL this year because they were the newest expansion team. So we didn't really know how they were going to come out of the gate, but they move all the way up into the top four this week at number four. And like I said, they proved me wrong last week. They're a team that is heavy with players in their 30s, a lot of older veteran guys, and many on the other side of their prime, really. You know, guys like Paul Rabel, Brody Merrill, guys that are well past their prime, but still able to play at a high level and lead this Cannons team. And they showed that they still have something left in the tank, and guys like Lyle and Q will be a problem, I think, for opposing defenses. And speaking of defenses, the Cannons have a really good one, led by Brody Merrill and also Jack Keelty as well. Number five, I have the Chrome. The Chrome lost Jordan Wolf to an injury in the game and only got one goal out of Justin Gutterding and still somehow managed to have a chance to win that game down the stretch in the fourth quarter. It would have been a one-possession game with three minutes to go, but a two-pointer was overturned to a one-pointer, which made it 14-11 to instead of 14-12, and that ended up being the final score. The Chaos come in at number six. The Chaos played poorly in that first half against the Whip Snakes, but again, I think you have to consider the opponent here. They pulled it together, though, in the fourth quarter and made the score at least look respectable, and I think they are a better team than what they showed, but for now, they get the sixth spot in the rankings. The Water Dogs are at number seven. Because they had flashes of solid play, but Dylan Ward definitely struggled in the cage in his first start in the PLL. The defense in front of him wasn't spectacular either, though, I think, and Sowers ended up suffering that head injury in the loss to the Cannons after scoring two goals in his pro debut. Not a bad uh, outing for him, but his absence from the lineup could really hurt the Water Dogs moving forward, and they didn't see much offensive production in Game 1 with five players registering a point, and one of those was their LSM, Rylan Reese, who hit a two-bomb in that contest. Now, the Atlas check in at number eight because, believe it or not, there were some bright spots on Saturday for the Atlas, as I mentioned in segment two. Kincannon's second act in that second half, coming back after they pulled him in the first half, uh, played really well there in that second half, only giving up three goals. And the defense also helped out with that, too. I think they played much better defensively as a whole in the second half. And Baptiste got back to, I think, his 2019 form at the Stripe on Saturday night, facing off at over 60% for the game. But other than that, the Bulls were basically damn near impossible to watch in that game outside of those two things. But I think the good news here is it's only up from here if you're the Atlas, because I don't think it's really possible that it can get much worse, right? So that is your week one recap power rankings for this segment. We covered a lot here in this episode, talking about the Atlas from Saturday. We recapped all of week one. We got your thoughts in the mix as well, but that'll do it for this episode of Taking the Field with Stevie Mac. We will be back on Thursday afternoon with a week two preview heading in to week two of the PLL 2021 season, but that'll do it for me. I'll talk to you guys later. We'll be right back.